Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by C. Trent Rosecrans. Trent covers the Reds for the Cincinnati Inquirer and hosts the CDOT Show, which you can find on iTunes. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at C. Trent. Trent, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Yeah, no problem, Ross. Well, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's, it's been so long, I don't even remember. I mean, it's just one of those kids things. Like, I, I think probably a hundred kids have this, hundreds, thousands, millions of kids have the same thing where they just don't know where it came from, but they've always loved the game. And uh, it, it's, it's something I, I don't even remember where it started because it's, it's been around longer than my memories. It's just always been baseball, and that's um, what I love to do. When I was, um, you know, I, I loved playing baseball. I played through high school. Um, you know, I'd play winter ball, fall ball, uh, summer ball, regular season. You know, then the extra summer um, would would just play as much as I could, almost year round, and um, just just loved the game. Just wasn't as good as I would. I wish I had been. Um, and when I was, I I guess I was ten. Um, you know, my friend Jimmy. Uh, we made up a all left-handed left side of the infield because we could make the throws when he wasn't pitching, and and I knew Jimmy had a lot more talent than I did, and 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 I'd have to find a different way to to get to the big leagues. And uh, Jimmy pitched parts of five seasons in the big leagues, and um, here I am having covered Major League Baseball for I guess about ten now. Well, 10 means this will be your first year voting for the Hall of Fame. We're going to do a lot of Hall of Fame talk today, but since you cover the Reds, let's also talk about the Reds for a bit. For me, from the outside looking in, it looks like the Reds might be stuck in the worst place you can be, which is the middle. They don't seem to be good enough to make the playoffs or bad enough to get any top picks. What do you think about their outlook going forward? You know, I I think this is kind of maybe the last year of a window, and you always talk about windows, and this is... If everything breaks right and everything broke wrong last year for the most part, um, except for maybe Johnny Cueto, if everything breaks right, they, they could they could. I, I don't think a, a playoff spot is is unreasonable. And then when you have Johnny Cueto at the top of the rotation, um, if if he's still there, Matt Latos, if he's still there. I mean, that that that's pretty good. Um, and then Homer Bailey. um if if he's on his game, I mean that's that's the type of one two three that can really propel you through a playoff series. Um, the big question is, can they score enough runs? And I, I think they're not alone in asking those questions right now. There's a lot of teams who who wonder where those runs are going to come going to come from. Um, you know, this is a team that that played most of the season without Joey Votto. They played. With Jay Bruce having his worst season of his career, just a just tremendously awful anomaly of a season, or at least they hope it's an anomaly. You know, so if 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 you say you get a Joey Votto, you add Joey Votto to last year's team, and you add Jay Bruce being what he's been for the first part of his career rather than than last year. You know, that, that's helpful. They're going to go out. They're going to find a left fielder, whether that is. A free agent, a guy like maybe the guy I keep beating the drum for would be a type like Nori Aoki. Um, maybe Michael Morris, a guy that that would be a little different thought with the lineup, but a guy like that. Or they could go out and trade. And, you know, the, the name that's bandied about, and I think there is some consideration, 
um, is Ioannis Suspetis. And, I mean, just think about Suspetis in that ballpark. And that would cost what, Latos? Latos, um, I've, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to trade Johnny Cueto uh, uh, unless they're overwhelmed, you know, by um, some kind of just some deal that that's unbelievable. So it, it could cost Latos. I even saw Nick Cafardo float that it took, it, it could cost leak. I mean, if they could get leak, suspend us for leak, I think they'd do that in a heartbeat. Um, you know, leaks a guy who's like, Cueto, like Latos, and like Simon, four-fifths of their rotation last year, is entering their la- his last year of arbitration. You know, Leak will probably get about $10 million in arbitration, um, which, which isn't cheap. Um, so if, if, they could, if they could do it, if I think that would almost be the dream scenario for the Reds. But otherwise, you know, it, it may be Latos. And the other thing with Latos, though, is here's a guy who started last year on the disabled list and ended it hurt. Do the the Red Sox want to take that kind of gamble that he's healthy? Yeah, I think the Red Sox and the Reds are potentially a good fit with the Reds trying to deal pitching and the Red Sox have the excess of outfielders. But I think that the Red Sox may have to give something with Cespedes to get Latos and that the Reds may have to give something with Leak to get Cespedes. I don't think there's a perfect match there, but I think there can be a match made. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that assessment. I think that's that's very well put. Let's talk about some of the dollars that the Reds have. They've committed big-time money to Votto, Bailey, and Phillips. How much financial flexibility do they have going forward with those three contracts on the books? Very little. Um, you know, Phillips does. You're you're down to three thirty-nine, which I mean, they're they're counting down the days for that to get over with. It's it's an immovable object. They tried to move him last year before he had the no trade clause, and nobody wanted him. Um, he, he's you know he's going to finish out that contract here. Um, and so that's, that's kind of a little bit of an albatross. The, after year one, it doesn't look like the Bailey deal is working out, but that's, that's year one. We've seen those things before. Um, I, 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 that, that contract has always kind of been one of those things where I'm not sure how I feel about it. I can see both sides of it. And I think it was, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush kind of thing when they did it. And that's one of the reasons he's there and he got that big contract. Uh, but we'll see. Um, but then the Vado is that looms large. That's, that's a whole lot of money. And if, if Vado, if last year, if, if he's healthy and he comes back and he's Joey Vado again, it's just another big backloaded contract that it seems like everybody's going to have at some point, and and maybe you're okay in a couple of years. But if he's not, then that's that's an albatross. Do you think the Reds would make any of those deals again if they had the chance? That's a great question. I, I I'm not sure they would. And that's a problem. People miss all the time, but when you miss with your three big contracts, you've hurt yourself going forward for many years. And, and, and the other thing is, though, I think they would do the Jay Bruce and the Johnny Cueto ones again. And those were really good team-friendly deals that they got those guys. You know, Johnny Cueto is going to make $10 million next year. And uh, that's, uh, you know, they, they had some good deals and they've had those deals. Is Votto healthy at this point? What are the expectations of him going forward? You know, I'll see Joey on Friday and talk to Joey on Friday. They have Reds Fest this weekend, um, and, and he's scheduled to be there. So I'll, I'll know a little bit better from Walt Jockety says that they've, uh, they've seen him. They sent uh, their trainer up to um, – or their strength and conditioning guy up to Canada where – where Joey is uh, spending this winter, which is which is different for him. He's usually 
He has a home in Florida around the Sarasota Bradenton area. And, you know, he usually spends his off season training there. This year he's training back home in the Toronto area. And and that's a difference. And you've seen him the pictures we've seen, I've seen two pictures of him at kind of uh some honoring some of the people from his from his past and he's got this big bushy beard so all i can think of is like a rocky four montage of joey (laughs) vado working out in the snow with a big you know big log over his shoulder um i don't know if that's actually happening but Uh, you know i saw that picture too when he looked jacked he looked much much more muscular too i just saw the beard (laughs) beard it's glorious um so yeah it's just this you know, I just picture the Rocky Four training. What's Votto's perception? So this year was hurt, so let's throw this year out for a second. But what's Votto's perception of his season in 2013? I think he was, you know, I think he thought it could have been better. He's kind of a perfectionist. But if you look at that 2013, I think I had him I had him fifth on my MVP ballot. And I, I he had a fantastic year. He's still a very good player. He, let's see, I'm looking it up right here, you know. That was his fourth straight year leading the league in on-base percentage. He played 162 games, um, a 156 OPS plus. Yep, still a six-win player. Yeah, I mean, he's still he was a six-win player. And there were people here upset with him because of 73 RBI. You know, the pictures I've seen, he does seem to, to have put on a little muscle mass. I wonder if the reputation he's getting of a guy that has no more power is getting to him. He's going to try and work on that. You know, the thing with Joey, though, is, is so much of his swing is that opposite field power. And he's got power. It's his selectivity that, you know, he doesn't chase pitches that he can't do damage with. And that drives some people nuts because they want, you know, they don't want him walking. And, and But to Joey, he's a guy who really thinks about the game and and probably thinks about it more like your average Sabre member than a baseball player. He's different than any other player in the game. I want to also ask you about Billy Hamilton. Hamilton came into last season with a ton of expectations. People thought he may never get caught on the bases, and he got caught a lot. Defensively, he was excellent, but he still struggled at the plate a little bit. What are the expectations of him moving forward? I think there's room for improvement, and a lot of people see that as just kind of uh, the first year. And, I mean, you look at Billy Hamilton and the split of first half versus second half. I mean, that's something that a lot of rookies do struggle with. Um, and, And it was... It was stark uh, on on in this his rookie year. You know, I'm just pulling it up. First half, he hit 285, 319, 423 with 38 stolen bases. Um, that was, you know, he was the rookie of the year at the half. Um, that's through 90 games. And then those last 62, 200, 254, 257, 18 stolen bases, eight caught stealing. It was it was a rough, um, you know, and, and, and that was about the same rate that he had before the caught stealings because, you know, there's a guy who's going to run. Um, I think there's some belief that he can learn better when to run, learn the pitchers better. Um, and, and when he gets a good jump, you know, when it when it all works, it's impossible to get him. But you still have to get you still have to get that jump and learn the major league pitchers and learn who slide steps and who does whatever. And, and I think there's a belief that, that he is going to be good enough to do that. Um, there's, he's, he's a special talent. And then defensively, I think they thought he was going to be really good defensively. I don't think they 
but they thought he was going to be as good as he was. And, and he was really a difference maker in that outfield. It was uh, it was really impressive to see what he was able to do defensively just day in and day out. And the other thing with Billy is he had how many doubles? Um, I have it up here somewhere. He had, he had 25 doubles. I, I, I would venture to say seven of those. There are very few players in the game who even think about going for two on those doubles. And, and, and he did. So, you know, he's a, he's a special talent, and he plays a different game than, than just about anybody out there. And he's going to get better, and I think they think he's going to get better. I want to shift focus to the Hall of Fame a little bit. This will be your first year voting. Before we can actually talk about any of the players, we, of course, have to talk about steroids because that's become the biggest issue on the ballot. What are you thinking about uh, players who have been connected to steroids making it into the Hall of Fame? You know, I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this, and I haven't filled out my ballot yet. Um, you know, there's I, I always preface any Hall of Fame talk, um, especially because I haven't done it yet. Uh, I, I can only put it in the context of MVP valid. There's a huge difference between sitting at the bar talking to your friends about who should be the MVP or who should be in the Hall of Fame and then looking at that ballot. And, and maybe, you know, I'd email in the MVP valid, but the Hall of Fame is actually on paper and there's it's 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 still kind of daunting to me. I mean, I, I haven't I can't imagine what it's going to be like to lick that envelope because you do actually send in the physical one and send it in. I mean, because it, it is something. I mean, it, this was quite honestly a career goal for me. It's something I, I, I reached a career goal two weeks ago when that or a week or whatever it was when that came into, you know, that that envelope came. And I, I, I'm still not exactly sure how I'm going to feel about it. That said, I have done a lot of thinking about this over the years. And my basic rule of thumb is I don't know. <laughs> and this it, it may sound like a weird cop-out. I don't know who was doing what. And I'm sure, you know what, I am. I would put money on. There's no way to prove this. But there, there are people who use steroids who are in the Hall of Fame right now. In every sport. And, oh, God, yes. Heck, <laughs> I mean, football didn't like a punter one year get suspended i mean a punter well yeah i mean that those pittsburgh teams of the late 70s with you know notorious steroid teams and i mean give me a break with the nfl well yeah i mean it goes back as far as you know sid gilman in the afl um and and earlier i mean there's a a buddy of mine wrote a book um about sid gilman and it talked all about how he he it was they gave him steroids in the like 50s and 60s. Yep, everybody on those Chargers teams was basically being given steroids by their team doctor and coach. Yeah, um, I think uh, Josh Katzwitz's book on Sid Gilman's really interesting if you if you're into uh, football. But yeah, and and so I I don't believe for a second that there aren't people already in, and I just as uneasy as I am being a judge on how a who belongs is on on performance only i'm tenfold more uneasy about any kind of morality police i just i i can't do it i can't i i just don't feel like the ability to do that so my basic theory that i'm going with at least for now is that i the only thing i can judge is what I've seen on the field. 
and what happened on the field. So to me, Barry Bonds is the best baseball player I've ever seen. Does the best baseball player I've ever seen belong in the Hall of Fame? To me, that's a yes. Roger Clemens is the best pitcher I've ever seen. Um, does he belong? Again, all I can go on is what I saw on the field. One of the things that bothers me is, I mean, the, the idea that, that baseball writers should be judging character or morality is appalling. And, I, and I'm glad you're like, I, I don't feel comfortable with that at all. I wish more people felt the same. But I do feel there are many in the group that feel it's like um, that that's a perk that they play the judge maker in that area. And it's kind of a little I, I find it a little off putting. I, I don't think any organization of people should be judging character. I, I don't care what it is, if it's clergy, if it's whatnot. That's just something you can't do. And I, I, I try my very best to leave that out. I just can't. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And uh, maybe some people are. That's them. I just I just don't. And, I, you know, I, I think I think that I'm going to sort of defend the baseball writers here because I don't think that's different than any other group of people. Well, I think they're put in that situation, too. And I think that yeah. the writers get a lot of criticism because there are a lot of voters and, frankly, a lot of voters that should not be voting. But the Hall of Fame puts these people in this situation and there's no accountability. And the Hall of Fame, if the Hall of Fame, look, it's their museum. If they didn't want the steroid guys in, which honestly, I, I suspect they don't, they could just remove them from the ballot. That's all. I wouldn't agree with that decision. Or if they wanted to discipline a player, uh, that's up to them. If they wanted to mention steroids on a plaque or on their online biographies, whatever they want to do, that's up to them. But that should be at the discretion of the Hall of Fame and not of the voters. Oh, yeah. And and the other part is I'm just I, – I say this as someone who is honored and has always wanted to vote for the Hall of Fame. I mean to me it's it's the pinnacle of my career. It really is. But if they took it away from us today and said, no, no, we're doing this differently, I would totally understand. I get the argument that we shouldn't do it. I totally do. Um, I don't know who would do better. You know, the, the thing I always say is, you know, people criticize the writing awards and, you know, the MVP, the Rookie of the Year, the, the others as well. I say, well, look at Gold Gloves. <laughs> that's the managers and coaches. Look at the veterans committees. That's the old timers. They've put in the most of the worst players in the Hall of Fame. And look at the fans with the All-Star ballot. I mean, who, who do you want to do it? Yeah, I, I think that the, the veterans committee thing, though, the other things are, are totally there. The veterans committee is a little bit, I mean, the BBWA has a tendency to say, look at the guys we're voting in. You know, we put in Greg Maddox. We put in Tom Seaver. Well, great. Everybody else would have done that, too. But I've heard guys they count there there are people and don't think that this doesn't happen that look around and say well the fewer hall of famers who are signing the f the more it's worth to the people in the hall of fame to the oh, monetarily yeah how much they're going to get paid and they make money off of it and that's another reason why i'm not sure we should be voting yeah, it's one of those things where a lot of the players in the Hall of Fame realize, too, that they make money off of this. And there were players who I think they would have supported being in the Hall of Fame. If you had asked a player playing in the 70s if player X should be in the Hall of Fame, he may say yes. Then he becomes a Hall of Famer and he doesn't want that guy in anymore because it's an exclusive club and they want their money. And people talk uh, talk about um, grudges. You think the players don't have bigger grudges than the media? Sure. And 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 And, and then the other part is... You know who they're in charge of? The contributors. And they do not have um, Marvin Miller. How can he be on that committee year in and year out? Every whatever They change it every couple of years, how they elect, elect it. But every time he comes up, 
he misses. Who has changed the game more than Marvin Miller? And who helped the players more than Marvin Miller? Nobody. Um, the only guy that's close is Frank Job. Yep. He's not in either. No. There's a lot of owners who still vote and these pioneers who vote who are holding that against Miller because he yeah. raised player salaries so much. There's a lot of flawed process with the voting process that extends beyond the, the BBWA ballot. There's flaws with the Veterans Committee. There's flaws with across the board how players get in. For example, they, they have a special committee once every three years to vote in players from the dead ball era, essentially. And I do think that there are players from the dead ball era who are still deserving and should be in, but I never think they should be a priority at this point. Let's get Minnie Minoso in the Hall of Fame when he can see it. And he's on the ballot this year. It might happen. But, you know, Jack Glasscock or Bill Donlin, I think these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. But I don't think they should ever be a priority. And I think that's a problem. Well, yeah, heck, they did a special committee just to get, you know, Buck O'Neill in and then couldn't get Buck O'Neill in. No, they put in 16 other people. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, we're not perfect and we may not be the right people to vote, but, you know... I'd, I'd put our results up against anybody's. But see, here's the thing with that, though. I think that there are writers who are voting now, and I think there are members who are not yet voting, that are qualified and capable and smart, intelligent people who are objective and capable of doing objective comparative analysis, which is essentially what Hall of Fame voting should be. I think that some writers should be a part of the voting process, but I don't think it should be 650. And I think that whoever the voting group is, I think it can be some writers, but I don't think it has to be all writers. I totally agree. Um, I'll tell you the one thing, and I always point this out because people say, well, what about broadcasters and all that? I say, well, you know, that's fine, but it has to be an organization. Do they have an organization? That's what made it easy. This, this organization existed already, and the Hall of Fame could just switch here. And there's no unified group there. And, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think there should be some calling of the roles. I mean, there... Why does there have to be? I, because it's easier. I mean, how else are you going to get these people together and decide on it? Are you going to get another committee and do... No. I, I think it's just a convenience, and it's, it's worked for X amount of years. But that's, uh, that's lazy, right? No, no, and I agree, but I'm also saying it's also realistic. I think that... What's missing from the Hall of Fame in particular, one thing that would ease the process is that there needs to be a position in the Hall of Fame of director of player admissions. Running the museum part of it and dealing with the legal aspects of the museum and the stuff, the physical stuff that goes into the museum and doing the PR is a different thing than handling the player admissions. I think that person should exist. I think there should be a rotating group every year. I don't think it should be a lifetime achievement award once you're voting, once you're not. And I think that they can just pick, here's 100 people, maybe 100 people vote every year. If they had a 100 people voting every year, year and changed it over by 10% at least, at least 10% every year. You could have broadcasters and writers. They don't have to be affiliated with any organization. You can just pick the best people. I, you know, I, I could agree, but I also think I should be paid more. I think right. I should have, <laughs> I think, you know, rainbows should come out of my butt. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things I think should happen. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with a word you said, but I just don't know that I see it happening. I'm not sure I see it happening either, which is a bummer, but ethically, do you see a difference between the players of the 90s and 2000s who used steroids and the players in the 40s and 50s who used amphetamines? No. No difference whatsoever? No, not really. I mean, they're both, I mean, if you want to go in the words, performance-enhancing drugs. I mean, greenies, greenies enhance performance? Yep. I, I, I think, I mean, there's, they were, I mean, uh, I... 
if there are differences, and I'm sure there are, I just don't know if they're so great because we don't know the exact what it helped and who was doing it and what was doing it that I just – I don't feel comfortable saying one is a greater evil than the other. Yeah, and I think steroids might be more effective, but I also think that athletes use the drugs that are readily available to them, and steroids were readily available in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, and amphetamines were regularly available in the 50s and the 60s. If steroids were as available then, you would have seen more players taking them. Oh, yeah, you heard, uh, you know, I think Bob Gibson has been interviewed and said, and, and I hope this is correct. And it's, Yep, it's Gibson, it, yep. Yeah, well, he said, would you have taken them? He said, of course. Yep. Yep, and he's, you know, good for him for being honest. I think Mike Schmidt made similar comments. He later backtracked, but it's, of course you would have taken them. Are you delusional? I mean, these are the most, these are some of the most competitive people on the face of the earth. They're going to do, that's how they got here, by doing what they needed to do to make themselves the best. Yeah, and it's such a, it seems the outrage, and I say this as someone who's like not a drug person at all. Whenever I talk to my friends, they're like, you've never even smoked a cigarette. You're defending these guys who use steroids. <laughs> I say this as someone like, there are drugs that help athletes perform better. Athletes take them, and then we're all outraged because of that. I don't understand the logic there. Yes. And we ignore it in football. Oh, completely ignored. I mean, look, and across all sports, if we ever had a full list of every athlete that's ever used steroids or HGH or insulin or any of these performance-enhancing drugs, if we had a full list as to who used, we would be stunned by not only how many people there were, but some of the names that are on that list. I would be more stunned by the people who didn't. Yeah, there were people who were also smart. There were people who didn't pay their steroid dealer with personal checks. There were people who saw when testing was coming into the game, stopped using. There were people who used from 1996 to 2000, and we have never heard their name mentioned once. Yeah. It's part of the deal. It's, it's in all sports, and I think that the outrage over baseball has been way overblown and very disproportionate to what they actually did. Yeah, and I mean, it was... <laughs> And in the end, it was the best thing that ever happened to baseball. I think about this all the time. Do you think if baseball, knowing everything we know now in hindsight, if they could go back and do it all over again just like the way they did, was the steroid era good for baseball? Of course it was. It was fantastic for baseball, especially coming off the strike. You know, remember 98? Uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it was huge. It helped get us to here you have revenue look at all the stadiums we've had since then um those don't get done without this i i I truly believe that it's it was completely a good thing for baseball and it was done the wink wink nudge nudge everybody knew what was going on um i bud selig knew it was happening and you can say whatever you know if, if, if Tony Larusa is a brilliant person and a brilliant manager, for him to to deny that he knew this was going on to me is is, is almost laughable. And you know what? That's fine. It, it he's as competitive as the players taking it, and there weren't rules. There's gray area that they could they could you know justify it to themselves or whatever, and and it was fine. But in the end. Everybody benefited, and if and it it what has it hurt other than you know this Hall of Fame discussion every couple of years? 
Yeah, and last year, of course, Larusa and Joe Torre went into the Hall of Fame as managers, and it's part of the hypocrisy of the whole thing. Are there two people who benefited more from steroid use or from their players using steroids than those two guys? Right, and and that was you know kind of laughable, and it, it it probably would have been a bigger deal had they gone in the year before when there were no players. Do you think you'll draw a line with? I guess it's not that much of an issue right now as Palmero fell off the ballot, but will you draw a line with players that actually tested positive in the testing error? You know, that's a great question, and it's one I put a lot of thought into, and I've never come up with a good answer. And and to tell you the truth, like when I saw Palmero fall off, I said, I mean, that's until Manny comes, you know, that's that's the one that I, I, I was saved from having to make that distinction. And, um, and I, I don't know how I would have voted. I, I truly don't know. And, and I wish I had a good answer for it. But I do see a difference. But I don't know how fast it is. And is it time served? Um, is it double jeopardy? I, I, it's, it's something I'm going to have to come to grips with at some point. And I just don't know exactly where I stand right now. Well, that 2017 class, that's the year that Manny's going to be on. You're looking at another BBWAA shutout there because the other newcomers on the ballot, you have Pudge Rodriguez, speculation about him alone will keep him out. Vlad Guerrero is a newcomer on that ballot. He'll get in eventually, but not on the first ballot. So there are some wild card holdovers. John Smoltz is coming on the ballot this year. If he's not in it by that point, he might get in. But there might be another shutout in 2017. And that's, that's going to be, what, two and five years? The Hall of Fame can't sustain itself if that keeps happening. You know, I think there will be enough holdovers. Um, I don't see the boost. I don't see Piazza or Bagwell getting a boost. I think your shots, uh, if Smoltz is holdover... I think over, people falling off is, is going to help. Yeah, and I think I think both Maguire and Sosa will bounce this year. Yeah, um, I think Sosa will. And, you know, he's a guy that would be borderline for me if there wasn't the silly arbitrary rule of 10, which I... I I've been very vocal, I guess, in meetings at, at baseball writers meetings and, you know, as vocal as a guy who didn't have a vote could could be about how silly I believe that rule is. And it, that rule is it's it's going to cost this year two guys that I think are no doubt Hall of Famers in um, Tim Raines and um, Alan Trammell. Yeah, both of those guys will get in at some point, but neither has a chance of getting in by the BBWAA. I, it, 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 it kills me um, because, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about this and I'm sure we're getting in there somewhere. You know, w- I heard people last year said, well, I didn't vote for Biggio because I th- had 10 and I thought he would get it and he didn't get in. And, and, and playing the game of, you know, I'm pretty sure Randy Johnson's getting in. Yep. Do I not vote for Randy Johnson? so that I can vote for Alan Trammell. But then what happens? I mean, it's that zero-sum prisoners game, and it's just what what I think I'm going to do is just rank the guys 1 to 28, you know, and and just draw the line at 10 and do my top 10 because that's that's it sucks. I hate it because, like, you know, I look at it and – there's another guy who I who I think deserves it, and I'm a huge, huge proponent, but I don't think he's going to – I've said for years I'd vote for Larry Walker, and I'm not going to vote for Larry Walker because I don't 
know that he's one of the top 10 players on that list. Yeah, I did a uh, I did a piece this offseason where I ranked the top 250 baseball players ever, and I had players from the Negro Leagues and Japan in it. I, I linked to that the other day. I loved it. Oh, thank it you. I, I think I had Walker, like 125. The idea that like the 125th best player should not be in the Hall of Fame, it's ludicrous. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It drives me nuts because you know, I wrote a thing a couple of years ago when I was at CBS about Larry Walker. And like I finished writing it and I go, I didn't realize I was such a staunch proponent for Larry Walker. But when I started looking at it, I mean, the one thing I always say about Larry Walker is what is there to do on a baseball field that Larry Walker couldn't do? Yeah. And I think people are so blinded by the ridiculous home field advantage he got at Coors, which he did get. He did. But, but you know, when I went back, and maybe I'll look this up real quick, um, he's not the first guy to benefit from a home field advantage. No, Jim Rice, of course, had a massive home field advantage. I think Hank Greenberg, his splits were crazier than his. Um, it's... It, there, there, there were a whole bunch of guys that have done it, and it just—it's tough. It's really tough because that's a guy who I, I think is was so, so good. And both wins above replacement and OPS plus account for park factors. That's part of the point behind those metrics, and he right grossly exceeds standards with those two metrics. Right. Were you a part – the BBWAA last year had a committee that was supposed to meet and uh, offer suggestions to improve the Hall of Fame voting process. Were you a part of that committee? I was not a part of the committee. I have – I I guess – let's see. I'm – I don't know how much – there are some very interesting propositions, probably not as much for Hall of Fame as for some of the MVPs and stuff, but there's some – there's some interesting stuff that could be happening to the BBWA. There can be some real, real changes to it. Um, I think that's good. Change is good. Oh, I do too. I do too. I mean, did anything happen with that committee? Did they propose any formal suggestions to the Hall of Fame? Uh, yes, but the Hall of Fame can go. Eh, eh, thanks. And is that what happened? I'm not sure if that's exactly what happened, but um, uh, quite honestly, it was a year ago at the winter meetings, um, and I think we talked about it at the All Star Game. It just I, I don't remember exactly, and I, I don't want to really speak on on something that I can't really remember as well, you know. Um, so so yeah, I, I think there are people who are trying, but at, at the end of the day, the Hall of Fame and, and when the Hall of Fame made the the change from fifteen to ten, it blindsided a lot of us. That one doesn't bother me. It's just the way that they the, the way that they sort of slam people like Tim Raines. So only the players over ten years got grandfathered in, and I think that was a mistake. I think so too. I thought anybody who was on the ballot should, but of course then it would defeat their purpose, which is to get the to get Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and the steroids guys off quicker. I think that's exactly why they did that too. Oh, that's there's it, there's no question. I think they want those guys off, and Bonds and Clemens have no chance of getting voted in at this point unless there's a dramatic change in the the people who are voting and the people who run the Hall of Fame. They're not going to get in. They're going to hover around thirty percent, and that's going to be that. I think they might get up to forty, but yeah, I think you're right. And you know, I think the younger, I think, you know, I I, I can't. I'm trying to think of the people I know who were. 10 year for the first time this year. Um, I know Derek Gould, um, one of, and I'm not going to speak to Derek and what he's going to vote, but you know, Derek's a guy who I think probably has some leanings similar to me. 
He came on last year. He came on the podcast last year, and he said that uh, he's like, I don't have a vote yet, but if I did, I would vote for McGuire. And he, he thinks he would vote for the deserving guys, and uh, and that will yeah. be that. I, I think I you know, and I think there's a group that's coming in, but I don't think the old guards dying off as much as possible. I mean, we and and I'm going to sound like well, the second worst person in the world, or maybe the worst <laughs> living person in the world, because you know Bill Conlon's finally dead, and that made me happier about my my organization. Yeah, well, the Bill Conlon situation, it's, it, it points to... The, the, the fact that, I mean, it, you know, the baseball writers are, are doing morality here, and we have, we honored, we have Bill Conlon it's as one of our honorees. It's appalling. And you, we're, we're the people who voted Bill Conlon, we're going we're gonna to tell the people? The press yeah. release that the BBWA released after the Conlon allegation surfaced was one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen. It, it, it was not good, and I am just happy that... I'm happy he's dead. Yeah. And I know that sounds harsh, but you're a child molester. He's despicable. <laughs> I mean, he's as low as low as gets. And it has nothing to do with how he voted for the Hall of Fame or what he wrote or what he did. He was a bad human being. And I've, I've gone on my uh, my soapbox saying I don't like to judge morality, but there are some things in my life that do not pass muster, and that's one of them. I want to ask you quickly, you mentioned that you'll just be at a situation where you think you'll just rank 1 through 28 and put the best 10 in, and that you think that Bonds and Clemens are certainly likely to be on that list as it's impossible to rank players without having those two guys near the top. Johnson and Pedro both seem like locks this year. I imagine they'll be very high on your list as well. What about players like Bagwell and Piazza, who have been kept out out of mere suspicion? Will they make your top 10? I don't know that they'll make my top 10. I, I think they will, but they will be... You know, there's going to be two lines on my ballot when I write it out, not the one I officially put in. But there's there's two lines. There's a Hall of Famer line and there's a 10 line. And people I think are Hall of Famers, there's going to be in the 11 to maybe 14, 15, 16. I think there's as many as 16 Hall of Famers on this. And, and that's kind of not my final thing, but. I think there are, and those guys I think are Hall of Famers. I, I, I have zero doubt. I mean, Jeff Bagwell, gosh, he was so good. I mean, you just look at his numbers, and especially playing so much of those years in the in the Astrodome. I mean, if you're going to ding um, Larry Walker for where he played, don't you give credit <laughs> to uh, Jeff Bagwell? Well, and that's part of the problem. There's no consistency. If we're going to ding right. hitters for their accomplishments during the PD era, shouldn't we be helping pitchers? Why are Schilling and Mucina still on the ballot? They should have glided in. I mean, both of those guys are, are you know, and, and I mean, how many guys have we talked about? Just you and I just shooting the shit saying this guy is a no doubter. I mean, there's at least 14. If you're going to take the take this the stance that I guess I have that if you took PEDs and there's a suspicion or even if it's beyond a reasonable doubt, which I don't have much reasonable doubt about, you know, Clemens or, or, or Bonds. I mean, even so, I mean, it just, it, there's so many guys and it's just, it's that, that 10 is, is, is they're, they're holding still for no other reason other than to keep those guys out. And it's, it's, it's bad. It's just, it just sucks. And it sucks that I'm not going to – I may not have Alan Trammell. And here's a guy who just who just 
deserves it so much. And Well, do you feel like that at this point that voting for Trammell is almost a wasted vote? He's not getting in by the writers. That's that's clear. I think he will get in. Really, he'll get in the first time he's he's put in the Veterans Committee, but he's not getting in. I, I, I know he's not. And I mean, Lou Whitaker should be in. Yep. Um, you know, I, but the thing is, by the way I do it, uh, the way I've decided I'm going to do it, I just can't think like that. I just have to say, I have to defend my decisions that these are 10 guys, that these are the top 10 players on that ballot for me. And the rules suck, but I'm still playing by that rule. And, 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 and you know, to, to think, well, you know, Randy Johnson's not going to get – he's going to get in. He's, he doesn't need my vote. Well, then I'm the guy who didn't vote for Randy Johnson. What kind of idiot doesn't vote for Randy Johnson? Right. And I feel like that would be the easiest mark where if the Hall of Fame ever wanted to prune voters, they could just be like, who are the people that did not vote for Randy Johnson? Right. Who, who didn't vote for Pedro Martinez? Right. Pedro Martinez. I mean, this guy, what he did in the steroid era? I mean, jeez. It's, it's more impressive than 70 home runs. It's more impressive than than anything else. I mean, he he was unreal, and I I, I just I, I can't be the guy that doesn't vote for Randy Johnson. So to me, it sucks, and it's gonna it's gonna break my heart when Tim Raines is off the off the ballot. I I still have, I, I can't believe that I have to vote for Tim Raines or not vote for Tim Raines because Tim Raines Tim Raines the only thing Tim Raines didn't do was be Ricky Henderson. Yep. And he played at the same time. If he played at any other time in the history of the game, he'd be a no, no doubter. And and because he wasn't the best leadoff hitter of his era, because, well, the best leadoff hitter of all time happened to be in the same era. You mentioned that you have 14. I think there were 19 guys you can reasonably make a case for. And realistically, I think only four of those guys I would call borderline. And that's the situation where I think you have four players on the ballot this year that are tier one all-time great players in Bonds, Clemens, Johnson, and Pedro. I think you have about 10 guys that are tier two who should still be considered obvious Hall of Famers. And then you have these borderline guys you can make a case for either way, which says to me that the biggest mistake right now, even if you don't vote for any of the PD guys, you could fill up your ballot with 10 guys who are deserving. Yeah, not letting guys in. We, we saw this two years ago. Not letting guys in hurts it more than letting guys in. Um, I may be a big hall guy that says, you know what? Isn't it, isn't it better to remember these guys than not? I really feel like people care about the players in the hall and nothing else. While it's a mistake that Marvin Miller is in, if the Hall of Fame got rid of all of the pioneers, managers, executives, just eliminated them all, and it was just a museum about players, they wouldn't lose that much interest in the museum. When, no. when you start eliminating players and start preventing players from getting in, you do. And I think that's going to be a problem they're going to have to deal with at some point. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, taking my daughter to the Hall of Fame and not talking about Barry Bonds. You've been listening to C. Trent Rosecrans. Trent covers the Reds for the Cincinnati Inquirer and hosts the CDOT Show, which you can find on iTunes. You can give him a follow on Twitter at C. Trent. Trent, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. No problem. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, Ross.